My name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. It is through the grace of God and my association with Alcoholics Anonymous that I have not found it necessary to take a drink since April 17 of 1988. I am one of four straight generations of alcoholics in my family from my, that, that we know of. From my grandfather to my father to myself and to my daughter. And in those four generations, the only person who has not died of and with the disease is the one speaking to you now. So I tend to be very serious about Alcoholics Anonymous and recovery. Um, I'm supposed to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So I will, uh, I'll do that. these fine uh, comedians are so much better at jokes and that kind of thing than I would be that uh, the truth is my day job is I'm a tax lawyer. And uh, they're, they're pretty boring people. And uh, the only joke I know about them is what is the difference between a tax lawyer and God? God doesn't think he's a tax lawyer. That's right. God doesn't think he's a tax lawyer. Um, my father uh, was orphaned at 11. Both of his parents died within nine months of each other. He attended a one-room school in eastern Kentucky. Through the fourth grade, his father died. He was taken in by a half-sister. He was incredibly brilliant. He was successful because he was talented and he was one of the most wounded humans I have ever known. My mother, still with us, and in her 100th year, is, um, was very beautiful. She worked her way through college. In those years, a little unusual, and had a bacteriology degree, also unusual. She was scarred by the Great Depression, like so many people with financial insecurity that stayed with her throughout most of her life. I'm the product of that marriage, and as the saying goes, the alcoholic gets drunk and the spouse gets the brain damage. And that really is true. It was very difficult for them. I have an older sister, three years older than me. Following the family tradition, she is absolute, except for me, she's absolutely gorgeous. And her coping mechanism was to withdraw. Her coping mechanism was to go into a clamshell and try to get away from the chaos, which was our life as a child. Without intending to do so, my parents, I know they did the best that they could, but they had a very fixed ballet, a very fixed dynamic. When my father was drunk, my mother was in control. When my father sobered up, he was guilty as can be because of what he'd done while he was drunk, and my mother was in control. That dynamic played out over decades. It isn't any way for people to live, and it was very hard on the family. 
As a child, I wanted to fix everything. I saw bad things happen. Like most children, I interpreted it as being my fault. I tried to be an entertainer. I tried to fix things, lighten the mood, that kind of thing. I wouldn't have known it then. I wanted desperately to be loved and to be cherished. That wasn't possible in the household in which I was reared, despite my parents doing their best. I was very, very sensitive. I could feel anything and everything, and that was not good. I never felt I was good enough. I learned to lie extremely early. I lived in constant fear. My parents did a lot of entertaining. My sister and I would be servers at dinner parties, that kind of thing. I very clearly remember my first drink. I was 11 years old, and I was cleaning up after one of, oh, we're all cleaning up after one of the dinner parties, and I decided I would try whatever was left in this particular drink glass. It was bourbon, and I will never forget instant recognition, absolutely complete, total, instant recognition. That was going to let me live. I didn't keep drinking. Uh, I, I just recognized it at 11. I was a lonely and isolated child. I developed fear, which produces anger, which produces resentment. And so I would tolerate for so long, and then I would absolutely go to DEFCON 5. I have a cliff personality to this day. I'll go so far and be nice and friendly. One micron beyond that limit, and I'm not going to be human in a way. I'm going to be a real jerk. Presenters at our house, we had to, had to pretend to be um, a family and have dinner every night. Uh, my parents were at either ends of the table. They were usually fighting, not always, but usually. I kept trying to fix everything. I couldn't. I became trapped. I became defensive. And I became predatory. I learned how to, to participate in a conversation, to cut people apart, and eviscerate them. It is one of my hardest things to keep that personality over here because it, 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 it is truly horrible, but I'm good at it. And, and um, I learned that as a child, and like a lot of things we learn as a child, we never quite get over them. I needed to escape. I couldn't make friends. I was isolated. I started riding bicycles. I, I would go bicycle hiking. You really got to be bored and not able to be around anybody at 12 or 13 years old to ride from Owensboro to Henderson and then later that day ride back. Absolutely alone. Never in all of my biking experiences did I ride with anybody else. I was this isolated kid. I knew that God existed, but God didn't have any use for me. I became 
a coward. Predatory, fear, anger, resentment, and I lived constantly afraid of the next painful experience. My maturing stopped. I had the maturity, which is not much, of an 11 or 12 year old boy until I began to sober up much later. Um, I was very fortunate uh, in one respect. I'm a one-trick pony. I can only do one thing really well. No good at anything else. The typical, or not, I'm sorry, the, the epitome of an idiot savant. I had very bad grades. I lied about grades. I hid my grade card, etc., etc. My parents, in reaction, insisted I go to summer school, and I did. Um, my parents were horrified at uh, my academic performance. And then one summer, <clears throat> in Owensboro High School, I had a high school biology course with a teacher named Elizabeth Wells. And I went in one summer, being a basic C-minus student to A-plus student in one summer. She was unbelievable. And what she gave me was my get-out-of-jail-free card. I was a one-trick pony but I could do academics. It was no, by the way, there's no virtue in that. I, I didn't earn it, it just happened. So when I was 14, 15, I went through all of that um, unhappy childhood. Then I got admitted to a summer science program at a college, 180 miles away. And uh, I rode my bicycle to it. That's the way I would get someplace. I didn't have a driver's license, and I started college. I would do anything to get away from where I was. So um, I decided that because I was bright enough that I must be wise. I must be growing up. I could figure out how to live because I could think. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. I finished college in three years. I'd skipped a year of high school, and at 19, I married. I was going to build my own family. One way or another, I was going to be cherished and loved by somebody. Uh, like a lot of uh, immature, really unwise people, I married someone with uh, very much my mother's personality. Never a good idea. I was, uh, I learned to live di with disappointment and being unhappy. I didn't care as long as I got from point A to point B. One trick pony. Ran car cross country, I wasn't any good at it. I, but I ran it because I could tolerate the pain. That was another good attribute, tolerate the pain. Because then you could use that when you apply to graduate school or whatever, and prove that you were a well-adjusted, athletic, young, intelligent student, which, of course, was complete hooey. So, um, as an anecdote, and meaning no offense to anyone, I realized what a horrible mistake I made, had made the night before the wedding invitations were sent out. 
I tried to pull back. I knew it was a mistake. I knew I was going into a disaster. But remember, I told you, I'm a coward. Or I was a coward. So I didn't succeed in pulling that, and it was tragic for all concerned. I didn't have the courage. About that time, I'm 20. I've had three threes ahead of me. Three years in law school, three years in the United States Navy during the Vietnam conflict. Never got shot at. Never got anywhere near getting shot at. And three years getting into learning how to practice law. At the end of that nine years, I did the one thing I've sworn I would never do. I moved to Owensboro. <clears throat> At that point, I was a human doing. I hated life. I'd built an impossible life. I'd brought three innocent children into that life. My wife, who couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly have dealt with that situation, was caught all by my, my, my stupid idea of building my own family. And, and my alcoholism grew. I thought if I could just avoid the pain and hang on long enough, that's all that mattered. That, of course, never works. I reached the turning point one night at a public restaurant. I was there with my parents and my wife, and as usual, had a highball or two. And as my parents ordered dinner, my wife ordered dinner, I ordered another drink. And as we got partway through the dinner, I ordered another drink. I consciously tried to do everything possible to stop the pain. How angry I was, how afraid I was, how much I knew I was throwing away my life, and it was impossible. A terrible thing happened that night. Scotch stopped working for me. It could make me unconscious, but it could not get me free of the pain. The next two segments of my life are fairly simple, the decade from 30 to 40 and the decade from 40 to 50. I was absolutely unfaithful to every principle of my life and had no means to forgive myself. I'm going to use an analogy throughout the rest of my talk of the vampire. Everybody's familiar with the vampires, right? Everybody knows what they do. Think about the vampire for a minute. I think it's a great analog to alcoholism. Most people who become vampires don't choose to become vampires. It happens to them. You notice that? Kind of like having a genetic predisposition to alcohol and kind of like having circumstances in your life that lead you to drink to excess and the two factors come together, and you've got an alcoholic. Or, as I say, a vampire. In every vampire movie, well, old vampire movies, the freshly made vampire, the first night, climbs up out of the crypt or out of the grave or whatever, and what does that vampire do? The first person that vampire seeks out for dinner, new meaning, is the person they loved most during life. 
usually some negligee-clad fiancé or something, to, uh, to do to them the horror of what had happened to themselves. Uh, vampires have a very unhappy existence. They're not popular at parties. They really can't be with anybody. They're isolated. And they get to sleep all during the day when uh, things might, might be different. And at night, they hurt other people. That's what I was. <clears throat> I hurt my children. Whatever the issues were in the marriage, I was despicably hurtful to my wife. I hurt my parents. I made sure they knew. I was a predatory conversationalist, and I would chop people up as rapidly as I could. Kind of like Freddy Krueger. Remember the Freddy Krueger in the movies, you know? Got the long knives and whatever. Verbally, that's what I was. Uh, alcohol turned me into this vampire. All of these other people were doing their best. They did not have any defense against me. And throughout it all, throughout it all, I saw myself as the victim. I would have given you an incredibly convincing argument that I was simply the victim of all the other wrongs on earth, and I was put in this terrible situation against my will. I'd have sworn it to you. I felt it. I knew it. And it rationalized everything horrible that I did. I lost jobs. I, I became a pariah in the society in which I had previously been welcome. I was terrified, except when I was so drunk I couldn't feel. I was swimming in quicksand. I'm not real good at word pictures, but if you think of vampire and then you think about swimming in quicksand, you begin to see where my life was as I came up on 40 years old. My father died. <clears throat> he died of COPD and um, congestive heart failure. It's a very ugly, horrible, torturous death. He never stopped his addiction. Never could stop drinking, never could stop smoking. I knew the disease of alcoholism and I recognized it. I, in fact, had taken other people to treatment because, of course, they needed to treat their alcoholism. So that's, uh, that's what it was like. And then what happened? The same friend I'd taken three years before, somehow or another, I'll never figure it out, got me to a treatment facility. I'll never forget one of the first conversations there. This psychologist or, you know, one of these head job people sits down and is interviewing you and you go through, take all these tests. And they said, Mr. Craig, you're, you're depressed. I think you've got depression. That was the last straw. I'll never forget it. I tore that fella eight ways from Sunday, particularly saying, these are the last things, these are the things that have been done in my life in the last 10 days. And I machine gunned him. 
I mean, this guy was cowering away from me. And I ended that, of course, shouting at his face. If that had happened to you, wouldn't you be depressed? I thought he was a complete idiot. But, of course, that was the beginning of being told that alcoholism is usually a dual diagnosis situation. Didn't want to hear it. Um, I knew I had the disease. I came back from treatment scared to death. And in treatment, they always tell you, don't make any sudden decisions. Don't do anything to change your life real rapidly because you're not going to have the wherewithal to use good judgment. I came home. I completed a divorce I'd started three times over. I completed that in less than 60 days. About 30 days after that, I married the person who I'd victimized while I was being unfaithful to my wife. Nine months after that, that was terrible. So I got another divorce. Let's think about it. Don't do anything major in a year. And in a year's time, I married twice and divorced twice. Now try that on. Anybody else want to try that on? Wasn't a very good student, was I? You start to recover, but not drinking doesn't make up for all of the things that had happened before. And if you come into Alcoholics Anonymous and someone says to you, it'll get better one day at a time, that's absolutely true. But it's not going to be a cakewalk instantly. So I recovered my professional life. Unbelievable miracle. I went through bankruptcy. That's a good step to take, you know. I was still caught in that desperately trying to build a family, some place where I was accepted, some place where I felt loved, some place where I felt cherished. But the trouble, of course, was I was one sick individual who needed to grow up from being a 13 or 14-year-old totally self-centered male and grow into being a man. And you let me do that. You made me do that. I, uh, <clears throat> some of the people here at the table have known me long enough and would, uh, I think, sign an affidavit that my description is accurate. So, I went to a lot of relationships. Uh, they were mistakes. I went to world of meetings. I did the readings. I didn't drink. I had a sponsor. I worked the steps. I did service work. I meditated. And I stopped making decisions for myself. It was about that time that I decided I needed a committee. So I picked several people I loved and cared about me, and I never made another major decision without going through all of those people and talking about it with them. Because the one thing, I can make a great decision in terms of a legal question or a tax question, et cetera, but I couldn't make a decision about walking across the street as a human being. So, I, I continue that to this day, where I always have a group of people 
that I ask to help me be sane. Um, I got away from my life being all about me, and I had some very undeserved opportunities for service work. Why anybody would have asked me to do anything other than take out the garbage is beyond me. But in two or three major instances, I had the opportunity to do something significant for the community, and I learned to love others. I learned to care. I learned some values. Those changes in my life were exactly what Victor was talking about. Inexplicable, beyond understanding. And I was given those opportunities totally wrongly. One of the ladies sitting back here will remember when I uh, was given a project involving my church, for which I wasn't particularly well suited, but I did my best. And for reasons known only to God, I didn't totally screw up. My family, my birth family, my sister and my kids, etc., I was not a person at all for a long time. And for some reason, I'll never understand, my sister and brother-in-law claimed me. They live in Lexington. I think that's the only reason they did it. They were far enough away they said, well, maybe he's better. I will never understand that. There was an absolute miracle. They, they invited me to come to their house for Thanksgiving. And they did it year after year after year. And finally, finally I went. And then I started to have a family. Uh, time marches on, and I got to 50. I started to like me. I started to love me. I could see inside myself. And while I wasn't great, I was the only me I had. I wasn't going to get another me. So... Um, here's a suggestion about this. I'm to tell you my story, not, not lecture you, but the people who walk around saying, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Those idiots are just total bollocks. If you think God forgives you, but you can't forgive yourself, then you don't know who's God and who's the drunk. It's crazy. It's prideful. Truth, as is required in the reading, being able to discern and act in truth becomes the central factor. It becomes the highest value. I would simplify truths, by the way. I, I reduced all the Ten Commandments to telling the truth. You know, don't covet. Because truthfully, you don't, that, that isn't yours. You don't deserve it. Just tell yourself the truth. Don't lie. Put God first. Gee, that's a really, that's, that, that, isn't that a remarkable thought when there's God and here you are? That's less than the toenail of a flea. Truthfulness will get you through the commandments and get you through the 12 steps. Funny event. I'd always been afraid of pain. 
I was always afraid of being hurt. The fear began to go away somewhat, but it, but it never went all the way. And I learned later that like our physical body, emotional pain, fear, disappointment, serves a wonderful purpose. My daughter died less than four weeks before she turned the age of 30 from the disease. I, I did not know how I could survive. I'm not sure. I, I don't know why I survived. And the pain of that loss hits me periodically. It's like I'm walking down the street and I get doubled over as if somebody hit me in the stomach with a baseball bat. But in that moment, my daughter's there. She's alive. How much I love her. How much she means to me. How important she was. Whether I failed her and contributed to the ultimate end of her life. All of those come together in one flashing moment. And I realize how important that relationship is. And even though it hurts, I'm so grateful for it, I can't explain. So put up with the pain. Don't expect to get away from it. Accept it. It will become your friend. It will let you know when what's important and when you're screwing up. So, as I said, I was issued one me. I found out that throughout my life, the next lesson I need to learn is right there at the end of my nose. If I don't think I've got the next lesson to learn, I just need to look at the end of my schnoz, and that's where it is. It's not hard to find. Those of us that say, I don't know what to do next. Hooey! Look at the end of your nose. Love one another. Love yourself. I found out the truth, which is recovery is an inside job. Acceptance, awareness, awareness and truth is critical. And it's okay to be vulnerable. What I had denied when I was a kid, it's okay to be vulnerable. I may get hit, but at least I'll be me. So, today, uh, everybody, I guess, is familiar with the term of CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which is the, the little three-word uh, expression we use. Change what you do. Change the way you think. And your feelings will change. And that's absolutely true. I spend five to six hours a week at a minimum working on my recovery program. Uh, the only way to get through life is to live it. You can't run from it. I now have a spiritual awakening every morning. Every morning when I awaken, for the next hour plus, I'm getting me in touch with my higher power, this program, God, my life. Um, my bad habits, I've still got plenty. I found out an interesting thing. God cannot remove what I'm not willing to give up. That's kind of, it's kind of straightforward. I know it doesn't sound like it's very profound, but it's absolutely true. I have a bunch of uh, three-worder expressions I use. Um, 
they usually come from up east somewhere. I think there's a Vermont expression. You use it up, wear it out, make or do or do without. Another one is start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I would have seen that as silly prattlings of childish nursery rhymes. They are absolutely the way for me to have a life. They are so profound, I wouldn't go a day without reminding myself of those kinds of three-word expressions. The hardest problem in recovery for me throughout, it comes all, goes all the way back to what happened, is that I didn't know who I was going to be if I gave up being a drunk. Today, I'm somewhat delighted every day that I don't know who I'm going to be. I only know I'm going to be okay as long as I have you and as long as I have God. So there's nothing dramatic about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. For me, I am so blessed to be here speaking with you. I'm so grateful that you would, um, well, of course you got suckered into it, but I'm so grateful you would, would listen to what I have to say. I hope you can find that God, the higher power that is in your life, is central to claiming your life. If you will have that relationship, you don't need to worry. You'll do fine. One anecdote. I had no spiritual relationship. As I said, I thought God, I knew there was a God, but He didn't have any use for me. But the 12 steps says, you know, you got to have a spiritual life, etc. I must have gone to I don't know how many churches. I grew up in First Christian Church here, Disciples of Christ. My first wife got that denomination when we divorced. Uh, so I went on. Um, I must—I don't know how many churches I went to. And I finally uh, uh, stumbled into a Catholic church. If I had dated a Catholic when I was young, I would have been killed. If, and it's really funny. I have the usual questions about my church. I love it dearly. It has structure, and it means everything to me, but I'm not at all immune to the problems with respect to it. Every human organization has plenty of problems. But what's funny, when I started to, to really get into be and enjoying being a Roman Catholic, and I wasn't drinking, my beloved mother, who's done, who has had her own recovery, would say to people, can you imagine this? She would say to people, Bill doesn't drink anymore. He became Catholic, you know. <laughs> so I'm grateful for the opportunity, the privilege of being with you, and thank you very much.